If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to Second uh, John. I uh, know you're like First John, right? That's where we've been for what seems like forever. Uh, no, we've we've advanced to Second John. Uh, in case you're just now joining us, we uh, com- just completed about three weeks ago a a 12 week long journey through the epistle of First of John, and in it, John, the author, he's a disciple. Of Jesus, he walked with Jesus. In fact, it said that uh, he is the disciple that Jesus loved. Uh, he very lovingly encouraged us, and he challenged us to to number one to know Christ and, and to allow our love for Him uh, to lead us toward obeying God's word. And uh, because through that obedience, that's where we find uh, the healthiest, the most peaceful, uh, the, the the most joy filled path. For living and and inside that obedience, inside that command to obey, uh, John told us that as we walk in the love of God expressed in Jesus, that there should be there should be a natural reaction in the heart of every believer uh, that that specifically inside the community, but not excluding uh, the outside, that we should carry with us this deep and abiding desire to love one another that we would look at our neighbors, we would look at the people we're sitting beside and say, I'm going to love you, but not love you in a standard of the way the world loves, because that's very transactional, that I would love you as a reflection of what God has done for me in Jesus. And so we're reminded to walk in this genuine love uh, for others. And this was Nothing new. John doesn't bring anything to the table that he hadn't first heard uh, Jesus talk about. Uh, In fact, Jesus will tell us that if our hearts are his, uh, we will have a love for one another. That's the way the world knows uh, that we are his. And and so so not not if you just go to church together, not if you like each other's Facebook posts, not if you greet each other at Walmart, because let's be honest, anytime you're at Walmart, you're just trying to get out of there, right? You're trying to get in, you're trying to get out. They need to make these blinders where you're like, hey, or just a sign that says, don't talk to me. I just want to be at home right now. Uh, and so, but, but that we would have a genuine love to, to walk into the messes of each other's lives, uh, that we would be the first ones to celebrate uh, when victories are happening around us. And, and so what we wanted to do this week, and we, we've kind of told you this is going to be our plan for a couple weeks now, uh, is we want to complete the set. Uh, and so since we've walked through First John, now we're going to spend uh, this week in Second John and next week uh, in Third John. And, and what we do, what we hopefully get to do is see, uh, get, get an even deeper understanding of, of how we should think as believers and how we should move as a church. That's, that's really all the, the word is, right? It helps us shape how we think about life and it helps us motivate us toward the footsteps of being believers in Jesus. And so uh, the letter we're going to walk through this morning is going to be helpful in, in highlighting the importance of, of not simply having sincere belief, but understanding the importance of having right belief. Uh, and so that's, that's where John is going to come in. So if you were hoping we would just be light and fluffy this morning, we won't. Uh, we're going to deal with some truth matters. And so uh, let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you and we are... Just so very thankful that you are good. That we could sing those words this morning and 
in our praise, it's a privilege that our praise would be able to rise to your throne room, that we would gather with, with all the churches that meet today, and we would get to be part of something special. And so, Father, what we pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit is that your word would speak to us. That our worship wouldn't have stopped when we stopped singing, but that our worship continues as we start listening. That we would be motivated toward the proper changes. And that we would be encouraged by your word. And that most definitely, Father, that we would see your Son more clearly so that we can love you more fiercely. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, so last week we took all family communion, right? And, and I referenced the scene where we get uh, the communion uh, practice from, and it's the upper room uh, where Jesus is spending his last meal with his disciples. It's the night before his crucifixion. And, and he says a number of profound and lasting statements. And, and, uh, and in what he said, one of them concerns truth and another concerns love. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? Now, when I say the truth, that's going to become very important for us this morning as we travel through Second John. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as he describes himself, he also tells us, no man comes to the Father except through me. Okay? So this is important as we understand Jesus as the truth. And then secondly, as he talks about love in uh, 1335 in, in the Gospel of John, he says, by, all, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And again, not just a passing love, not just a, hey, that's my buddy, uh, but a love willing to battle in life together. Uh, a, a love that walks in covenantal community uh, with one another. And so, so, so truth and love are, are very important rails when it comes to Christianity. In fact, that's the way the train runs. Uh, you have truth and you have love, and that, that they bring a, a great authenticity. Uh, they bring a balance to our Christian words and our actions. It's, it's why we get to do what we get to do. And so, so John is so concerned about this issue that he writes a whole letter uh, to draw our attention to the importance of it. And so the truth matters a great deal. And I think in, in our day and age, we have a strange relationship um, with that word, uh, that, that somehow we confuse truth with relativity that well it's just it's relative whatever the truth is to me might not be the truth to you and the bible this is why we lean so heavily on the bible is we say hey there's a standard of truth that god has established and so when my life differs from it it's not again we say this all the time it's it's not god's fault it's it's mine and so as believers in christ what we do we come in and we say there are things that aren't relative to me. There are some absolute truths that God has placed in His Word. He's declared over all creation. But in our modern day, what we do, because we don't want to be offensive, and again, there's a difference in being offensive in a godly way and offensive in just being like Mark and, or Jerk, right? Right? I mean, yeah. He nodded his head like this, and then he did this. Um, but there's a... There's a way to go about that, but so. And, and then, secondly, I think 
we confuse truth with sincerity and we walk along and we say, well, as long as they're sincere in their belief, then they, somehow they have to be right in their belief. And that's not what the Bible teaches either. And now we as a, as a church community over the last hundred years have had, has had these moments where we do this really well and we have these moments where we do this very poorly. The way we combat error and the way we combat separate beliefs. And, and the history of the church is, is recognizing, this is what we know, the history of the church is recognizing the truth, guarding the truth in our hearts, walking in the truth with our feet, and proclaiming the truth with our mouths. That's what we do. And so, so what we find when we walk in the Bible is that the more we walk in the truth, the more freedom we experience. The, the more genuine love can be expressed and can be felt. And so what we're going to find this morning in this letter are, are some interactions uh, the church, or more specifically, if you are a believer in Jesus, you uh, need to have when it comes to how we engage with truth. And, and so bear in mind that, that Jesus has told us that he is the truth. So, so let's, we're going to read the letter in its entirety. I'm going to stop at the very beginning and then we'll read it because I want to set the, the stage. Okay, so Second John chapter 1, uh, uh, verse number 1, not chapter 1, says this, The elder, okay, this, that's John. John basically giving us a salutation. It's like the first time he's ever done this, right? The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, okay? So, so let me kind of set that scene because there's some differing views on uh, who he's writing to, okay? One of the, the common beliefs is he's writing uh, to a specific lady uh, and her children. So he's writing simply to a home. Another view is that when he says elect lady, what he's doing is referring to when Jesus refers to uh, the church as the bride of Christ, uh, he's just saying, hey, I'm, I'm writing to the bride, uh, and then, by extension, her children, the, the believers. And then there's a third view that uh, he's literally writing to a lady who's hosting a home church uh, out in her place. And so he's writing both to her family and then her extended biblical community. Now, why you say, why did you spend so much time explaining that? I don't really know. Uh, because it doesn't necessarily change anything. Because how we get to engage it is as believers uh, today. Uh, and so I think all three of those are viable options, uh, and they set the same scene. And so, so what John does next is he applies, uh, what he says next applies to every church, every believer. And so he says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. So we are together uh, as a body. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son and in truth and love. Next slide. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we would love one another. And this is love, that we would walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. 
those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such uh, a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him in your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. And this is where I think he's talking to an actual home church. He's saying, hey, there's your sister church. Uh, they say what's up to. Um, and so, so this whole letter, okay, and we're, we're going to kind of walk through this. So if you're like, I didn't understand any of that or understand some of that, we'll walk through it together. Uh, but, but ultimately, this letter has given us two thoughts. He comes in and he says, let, let the truth lead you and then let the truth protect you. That's, what, that's all he's really saying. Let the truth lead you. Let the truth protect you. And so, so because truth matters, let's walk through this together. Number one, we must love the truth. We must love the truth. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and in love. So, so the motivational, foundational motivation of John's writing this letter is, is a love that he shares with them through Jesus. Uh, the Word says that the love of Christ knits us together in perfect harmony. And so, so, so Jesus is the truth that lives in them and is with them forever. And he says that, that because we live in the truth of Jesus, there are three companions that follow. And all three of these companions are much needed and they are greatly welcomed, at least in my own heart. He says that because of the love that we share uh, with Christ, Grace follows us. And grace is simply God doing for us what we don't deserve. Then he says mercy follows us. And mercy is simply God not doing to us what we deserve. And then he says peace follows us. That, that, That God grants us a confidence to be able to take on all seasons of life. That we don't have to flip out when life gets hard. We don't have to run away when it gets difficult. And again, Jesus is the truth. He tells us this in John chapter 14, verse 6. And, and then a little bit later in 17, he says that, that God's word reveals truth. That can be both the Bible and it also can be the voice of Jesus. And, and so, so not only can we know the truth, but we can love in the truth and we can live for the sake of the truth. We can, that, that the truth lives in us, shall be with us forever. And that means that, that knowing the truth is much more than just giving an allegiance to a body of doctrines, which is important. It is. But, but, but though that's, it means that the believer's life is compelled by a love for the truth and a desire to magnify the truth, that we would live in a way that reflects what we believe is truth. 
as described in the Word. And so the reason this is important is that the Bible will teach that, that there's a deadly difference between truth and error. And there's a lot of error in our day that looks a lot like truth. And he says, knowing the difference is very important. And that's why he draws our attention to Jesus very early on in this letter. In fact, so early on, verse 2. He gets, he gets two verses and he's like, you've got to pay attention to Jesus. And again, this is his model, right? All John ever tells us from his Gospels to everything he writes is, hey, put your eyes on Jesus and never take him off. Because he is the author, he is the perfecter of our faith. And so, so, as we walk in this, the Christian faith stands or falls on the doctrine of who Jesus is. And so, so if Jesus is only a man, then he can't save us. No matter how good, no matter how gifted, no matter how unique he might be, if he is only man, he can't save us. If he's not Emmanuel, which is literally God in the flesh, then the Christian faith lies and it can't be trusted. So he has to come as both Fully God, fully man. Now, we're not going to open that can of worms this morning because we don't have the time nor a guy who knows how to teach it well. Um, But this is going to be important to keep in mind in just a few verses. But as it remains, in order for us to walk in the light of our salvation, we must keep a deep and a pressing love for the truth, for Jesus and knowing the commandments of God. And, And so... We must love the truth. We must love Jesus more than we love anything else that this world has to offer. And this is why, which is why when Jesus comes in and he talks to us in his Gospels, he looks at us and he says, you count the cost before you give me your heart. Because we give him, we try to give him our heart too cheaply and he's like, that's not what the agreement is. He goes, you count the cost of what it looks to be a disciple. You count the cost of, of the pouring out of your life for the sake of the gospel. Number two. So not only do we, uh, must we love the truth, we must walk in the truth. Verses 4-6, through six, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning that we love one another. If you remember in 1 John, he tells us this same commandment. He reminds us of it. So he's like, not only am I reminding you of a reminder, I'm telling you, keep going back to the original, love one another. And this is love, that we would walk according to his commandments. And he says, this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. And so, so there are two thoughts that shape these, these uh, uh, verses that... The first is found in verse 4, and it says that you would be concerned with what you believe. It said you should be concerned about what you believe. Just because you're walking doesn't mean you're necessarily going where you want to go. In fact, Pastor John Meridia put it this way, John knew well the source of his spiritual authority, of his life's authority. Tragically, many do not. As a result, we are awash in spiritual, moral, religious confusion that there are basically four options when it comes to the source of the authority to which we will submit. We will either submit to reason, which is what we think. We will submit to tradition, which is what we've always done. We will submit to, um, to experience, which is what we feel. Or we'll submit to revelation, which is what God says. And so, so the psalmist comes in 
And in, in Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. It's, it takes forever to read it. Um, but, but the psalmist comes in and he says that God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So his word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. So walking in the truth should not feel like you're treading a new path. In fact, it's, it's more like a path that was always available to you, but you never took. Instead, what you decided to do, you're like, hey, I know that there's some gravel here and I know that this is open. I think I'll take the thorns and the bristles. I think I'll pave my own way. So he says that your word shows me the right way to walk. And as we walk in that, you know what we find? We find him. And and the more we love him, the more we say, why would I ever want to leave this road? Why, Why would I ever want to be separated from this road for even one moment? Then the second thought comes in verses 5 and 6 that we should be concerned with how we behave. We should be. That, that wrong thinking inevitably re- leads to wrong living. That's what it does. And so, so, so if, if the mind is confused, the heart will be corrupted. That's the way this works itself out. So for John, right living is a life of love that is the supernatural response to the love that we experience in the gospel. Just constantly. So, so verses 4 through 6, they're almost poetic. They come in and they say, they say walk uh, in the command to love and love the commands in which you walk. That you, you don't have to be in two different places. Your heart can be settled in one place. It can be in the same spot that your feet are moving. And so, so someone may be thinking, okay, there's a lot of commands in the Bible and one of them is to love and doesn't, is that proper to be able to command someone to love? And, and I think if we think through it in the world's way of loving, then no, it's, that's not a reasonable expectation. But w- when we talk about how God has loved us in Christ and we talk about how we can uh, understand Christian love, I, I think it's, it's very possible to remind us that hey, you, you are commanded to walk in love. In fact, many people have mistaken the idea that Christian love is a feeling or it's a, it's a religious emotion that makes us reach out and accept others, and, and certainly emotion is, is involved, um, but basically Christian love, it's an act of the will. It's deciding who's going to be in charge today. Because it, it means treating people the way God has treated you. In fact, it's just a reflection of it. In fact, it's, it's, it's possible, you realize this, okay? Now, I don't know if you're sold on it, but do you realize that it's possible to love people that you don't really like? It is. It's entirely possible. Say, so, you know, I don't like them. And sometimes you don't like a person just because you don't, you don't even know why you don't like them. You're like, I just don't like their face. I don't know. Or some of us have worn the scars and we say, I don't like that person because they did this to me or they did this to someone I cared about. Or, or some of us wear the, the, the scars of, um, well, they didn't meet my expectations so I don't like them. And some of you say, I wish I didn't like them because I hate them. And this is the issue we found in First John, right? Because he says, listen, you can't say that you love the Father and hate your brother at the same time. It doesn't work. Because your hatred for your brother is a reflection that you don't understand the deep love that God has for you. And then the deep love that God is calling you to live out in 
And so, so we, we may be able, we may not be able to will our affections at all times, but we can will our attitudes and our actions. You can. In fact, when people are rude to us, you don't have to be rude in return. I don't know if you didn't know that was available to you. But you can choose to shut your mouth. You can choose not to retaliate. You can. That's an act of your will. Now, I'm not saying altogether that makes it sound, that, that to you that sounds fair. I'm just telling you it's possible. It's possible. When, when people persecute you, you can, I don't know, do what the Bible says to do and pray for them. And when the opportunity comes, you can do good to them. You can return their evil act with a loving act. You can. That's always available to you. And some of, some of you look at me like, no, that's dumb. If we, follow, if we followed our feelings, we would always want to retaliate. We would. Because we would always want to get even. We'd always want to make it fair. And that's not the way we are called to live. But if, but if we ask the Spirit to control our wills, then we act toward them as Jesus would have acted in Christian love. In Christian love, John went on to explain that love and obedience, they, they have to go together. They have to go together. It's impossible to divorce our relationship with God and our relationship with people. It's impossible. If we say that we love God and we hate our brother, then we can be sure that we don't really love God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If we obey God, then His love is perfected in us and we have no problem with loving our brother. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-5. through 5. Number 3, let's go. We must look for the truth. We must look for the truth. This is, this is where I, I think it's interesting because when I ask some of my pastor friends to give me a synopsis of 2 John, they almost always forget what John has said in verses 1 through 6, and they always go to verse 7. And they think the whole letter is about John telling the church, hey, be careful about who you let inside the church. Be careful about false teachers. Be careful about false preachers, which is vitally important. If you remember, we spent a significant amount of time in First John talking about how to be guarded on that. And we said that we ultimately guard all of the teaching against the Word. And where the word is separate from the teaching, the teaching is false. And so, but the book doesn't really boil down about listening to, hey, be careful when there's a guest preacher. It's, it's a matter of the truth. And he says, you've got to look for the truth. You've got to examine the truth. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Like that's, that's hardcore, right? Like don't even talk to him. Don't even look to him. Just shun, you know. It says, whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And this, this connects us to the instructions that we found in our journey through 1 John that, that we are to be on guard uh, against false doctrines and false teachers. And this is why 
we place again why we place so much emphasis on the teaching against the light of God's word. And so, so John knows this. He is if you're trying to examine someone's theology, someone's doctrine, the first place you go is ask them. Talk to me about Jesus. Because he knows that that Christology is the heart of Christianity and that that if you're wrong on who Christ is, you'll be wrong everywhere else. And so so John issues this this strong warning to be on the lookout for anyone who challenges the full deity, the true and the perfect humanity, the sinless life, the complete work of Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. In fact, um, as I was trying to study and and try to figure out how do I explain this, uh, I came across a structure that is very helpful uh, that I just ripped off. Um, in a couple of years, I will say that I came up with this, and you will not know any, anything about it. Um, but basically, there, there's four things that are being said here. The first one is this, that we would recognize the deceptive. We would recognize uh, the deceptive, that, that the message is that Jesus, uh, the person who is deceptive, he has a message that says Jesus is not the Messiah, or he's not all that you need to be completely saved. What you need is Jesus and you need to do this. Or what you need is Jesus and you need to be this. Or you need Jesus and you need to go. Look at those little kids just walking together, going to the bathroom. Sorry. Just cute kids. Y'all did a good job. Y'all did a good job on those kids. Um, the heart of all false teaching uh, is, is an effective view of Jesus. And there's a lot of theology out there that that's sounds very that sounds sound but if it distorts Jesus it's defective then secondly that you would resist the destructive verse 8 that we are to be continually on guard and this is intended to come across as a strong warning John implores us not to be lulled into a spiritual stupor it's what it is this is one of the greatest dangers I believe in the church of America that, that the enemy can rock us to sleep with the comforts that give the appearance of religious activity. That, that a majority, that's, that's an issue here, that's an issue across the street, that's an issue everywhere that there's a church in America, that we can listen and be rocked to spiritual slumber. And the enemy says, done my job. And so he comes in and John says, you've got to be on guard against those things. Because there is a message out there that says this shouldn't be, don't worry about counting the cost. Just, just pray this prayer and then you, you won't die and go to hell. You'll go to heaven. It's cool. But you can continue to live your life any way that you want to live. And the problem is that stands opposed to the words of Jesus. That the word of man will always try to listen to what their itching ears want to hear. That's why some of you, uh, when you have a true friend, it's why you avoid them sometimes. Right? Because you know that because of their love for you, they will uh, tell you what you need to hear, not what you necessarily want to hear. And so what do you do? You try to hide from them and you go find the ones that will tell you, oh, you're perfect. You're super. They're jerks. He says you've got to be on guard against those things. And thirdly, he says, reprove the destitute. That anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but, but goes beyond it offers, um, we've said this a couple weeks ago, that it's a, it's a Bible plus 
or a Jesus plus kind of theology that they leave the basic biblical truths about Jesus and they claim to offer something new, something better. You realize that, that, that God established the way of salvation. And so if there's anything that's being sold to you as new, it's not new. And he's clear, there's, there's no ambiguity that, that when you take Jesus as your Savior, you get God as your Father. But if you say no to Jesus, you're also saying no to the Father. This is one of the things that uh, really upset the Jewish church when Jesus was walking around and he would say things like that. Like, that's not the way it works. And he's like, no, that's exactly the way God has told us from the beginning this would work. Those two always go together. The Father and the Son always go together. They cannot be separated. And there's nothing you can add to what God has made possible. And then, uh, fourthly, you, you, you reject the dangerous you reject the dangers. We have to be careful um, with verses 10 and 11 because I, I think the church in general um, or a church who has misused these verses, uh, they'll, they'll do so and they'll feel like they've been given permission to not engage non-believers with the hope of the gospel. That's not what he's saying. Remember he said, hey, if someone is false, you, you, need to, you need to not let them in and you need to not speak to them. Okay? But the church has taken verses like this and they've, they've circled the wagons uh, and they say, well, John tells us not to have interaction with unbelievers. And that's not what he's saying. In fact, um, doing so would ignore the truth that God has given us influence in jobs and homes to be lights in the darkness of the world. So, so John implores us to exercise discernment inside the biblical community. That's what he's telling us to do. If, if they don't, agree with the true doctrine of Christ, then as a matter of, of really church discipline, uh, you need to move them along. And this is not to say, uh, it's not the same as your involvement with a person who's a not yet believer. Uh, and so, so John is adamant about this because he didn't want any of God's children to, to number one, uh, give a false teacher the impression that their heretical uh, theology was acceptable. Or secondly, that uh, he didn't want the believer to become infected because of the association with the false teacher. Or thirdly, he didn't want to give the false teacher ammunition to be able to say, hey, so-and-so over there believes it, and so there, clearly I'm right. And so, so you reject the dangerous simply because there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There is. In fact, uh, they are sent by the enemy to steal and to kill and destroy, but don't let that confuse you from the work that you've been entrusted with to shine and to serve for the glory of God. Okay? In fact, it's, it's my belief that, that false teachers uh, who are wolves are to be primarily identified by shepherds because the shepherd has a responsibility of, of protecting the sheep. And so the way that works around here is, is we have elders and their role is to make sure that all doctrine that is preached, taught, lived out that is done in a biblical way. And so, let's start wrapping this up. Where are you at, Swan? There you go. Um, so to say the truth matters a great deal is an understatement. Because we all get that, right? Like we know the truth matters. In fact, answer me this. Would you rather today with your children be lied to or told the truth. Right? So you're like, I don't know, it's kind of fun when they lie. 
matters a great deal. We talk about this in our, in our home, that, that the truth matters because it paves the way for, for me being able to keep you safe. Like, if I, if, I don't, if, if I don't feel like you're telling me the truth, then I can't defend you the way that I'm supposed to defend you. And it matters a great deal. Not only in our, in our character, not only in our reputations, like, like, would you rather be known as a truthful person or a liar? Right? So the truth matters a great deal about our lives. And so how we establish truth, how we pursue truth, matters a great deal as well. That, that I, I can't express this enough when we understand the context of the truth in Second John, that, that we see Jesus lifted high, we see Him proclaimed, that we must love the truth, we must walk in the truth, and we must look for the truth. And who, who we come to know Jesus as is not a relative statement. It isn't. Because if we were to read the Gospels, apart from the inspiration of, of God speaking to our hearts, we would create a completely different version of Christ. Because what we would do is we would lean in and we would try to find the Jesus that we need, that we think we need. And so we would try to find one, typically, that is soft on sin. We will take verses like, cast your cares upon me and... My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we're like, oh, well, yeah, I like that idea. I like easy and light. But that's, that's, why, that's because we make horrible gods. And so the truth that God establishes about Jesus in His Word is not relative. It's absolute. And when Jesus says that no man comes to the Father except through me, that's not relative. That's absolute. And we struggle with that. But do you realize that that when we get promises from God, those aren't relative, those are absolutes. Things like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Things like, when you come to me, you shall find rest. Those are promises established by God, not by you. So the truth matters a great deal. The angel appears to Mary and she said, and they say to her, you will have a son. He will save his people from their sins. And it's not a new statement. In fact, the Old Testament is a history building to the fulfillment of this great promise of who Jesus is. And so we cherish this great truth and we celebrate this great truth because in it we have found life. We don't, we don't have to debate it. and We don't necessarily have to defend this truth. That we get to live it out. It's our privilege to live out in our words and our actions the truth. And by doing so, people can see their need for a hero to rescue them. That's, that's the way this works out. So our desire this week is that we love God by... Oh, people, please stand with me. As we wrap up, let me make a couple things available to you. If you don't know the truth, we long to help you start that journey. We'll have some people over here toward these doors that, that they're willing to, to, to talk with you. They're here willing to hear you out. Maybe you have questions 
we, lo- we love questions around here. And then maybe you need prayer this morning. Maybe, maybe something's going on in your life and you say, hey, I need someone to be able to hear me. We want to walk alongside you as we go to the Father together. And then thirdly, if you want to take some time to remember the price that Christ has paid for you in communion, that's available in the back. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we can lean into what's perhaps difficult matters. And we can walk knowing that you love us. Walk knowing that you care for us. I pray we would be a people that cherish the truth of your Son. That we'd be a people who carry the truth of your Son. That it would be our continual pleasure and our continual privilege to be known as yours. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.